It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme and Shirley has been in contact with the programme this week and wants to raise the issue of cost of car hire in this country. And now Shirley isn't trying to hire a car herself, but she's coming at it because she works in the tourist industry in West Cork. So she would deal with a lot of people who come from overseas and want to hire a car because they want to explore beautiful West Cork and maybe even go a little bit further afield. And she said she is already, now we're early enough in the season, but she's already hearing from people Uh, clients of hers who say they're absolutely shocked at the cost of car rental in this country for this year. Now she says she has examples of some people who tried to hire a car for five days and they were giving quotes as high as €2,800. Well, they're not trying to buy the car. They're trying to hire it for five days. Now, some then are going, you know, you can go online and you can search, you know, there's cheaper alternatives online where they'll do comparison of various car hire companies. But even going that route, cars are still coming in. I mean, I did this yesterday when, when Shirley contacted the programme. I took a look at some cars, like very small cars for a week you're quoted around a thousand euro and then I looked at a car like a BMW 3 Series a slightly larger car and I was quoted three and a half thousand (laughs) to hire a car here in Ireland for a week and that's from next Saturday to the following Saturday I didn't even go right into the middle of the summer when prices may even go up higher and then for a very small car I think it was like a Ford Fiesta it was a thousand euro for the week. And Shirley says overseas clients who are talking to her are saying that Ireland, we seem to be by far the dearest when it comes to car hire. But Shirley is starting to worry as we are at the start of this year's tourist season. And this is an important tourist season for so many providers, particularly some of the smaller providers, because they've had little or nothing for the last two years. Now, staycationers came in great numbers and moved around the country, but it wasn't the same as having the overseas 
sees uh, visitors and they didn't people didn't have full tourist seasons certainly for the last two years so a lot of them are really hoping that this year uh, 2022 uh, is going to be a good year for them and Shirley is fearful that some of clients overseas who are looking to come to Ireland that the first impression they will get when they try to book the car rental is my goodness if car rental is that expensive how expensive will everything else be when we get to Ireland and she fears that it may actually put people off because you know it's certainly if you've ever hired a car yourself if you've gone abroad and you decide to hire a car it's almost the the next thing you, you you look at kind of flights you look at accommodation and then you look at car hire you know in the main it's done before you even travel and she's fearful if car rental remains as high as it appears to be this year that she is just afraid that it will put people off so some people may not decide to holiday here at all or if they do decide to holiday here they won't rent a car and therefore they mightn't travel around as much and a lot of the tourist businesses, the smaller businesses depend on people travelling and maybe coming to an area for a day and getting involved in, you know, whatever service the the various tourist provider is uh, providing. So she's just worried about it and she just asked if we'd highlight it on the programme and she's interested in hearing other listeners' uh, reaction. And I suppose to extend it out a bit, I mean, Shirley is claiming her clients are saying that Ireland is the dearest by far when it comes to a car rental. Now I know it's very early that many people have not been may not have been away yet but I'm wondering has anybody looked at car rental outside of Ireland maybe you're planning a trip away this summer have you looked at car rental in other countries because I've got just a funny feeling that car rental has probably gone up right across the board in every country and that it's not just here in Ireland the car rental companies certainly made little or nothing over the last two years so certainly many of those will be scrambling to try to make back some of their losses that they would have made over the last two years but the danger is that if they put prices up too high they just outprice themselves and Shirley is right you won't have as many people renting cars so let me know your thoughts on that if you are like Shirley working in the tourist industry, are you worried that the high cost of car hire in this country is going to affect people's ability to travel around are people coming, will it turn people off coming to this country at all and as I say on the other side if you have attempted to look at car rental in other countries and you know what a price was pre-pandemic Maybe you rented a car in 2019. Has it gone up much? I'm interested in your thoughts on that. 0818 103 103. Texts and WhatsApps 0862 103 103. And rogue traders. I read a piece in the paper today on rogue traders. Always worth a mention just to get the word out to listeners that these rogue traders have not gone away. And Gardaí now are warning that there is an increase in fraud crimes involving these bogus tradesmen. And there seems to be an increase since the pandemic lockdown ended. And there's, you know, variety of reasons for that. A, these bogus tradespeople are now able to start moving around the country again. But also, you'll have households who didn't have any work done in their homes since, say, 2019, and they might 
be looking at something, worried about something on the roof or painting jobs or whatever it is that people might be deciding to start spending maybe some cash that they've saved during the pandemic. So officers uh, in within Angarthia Corner say they're typically investigating this time of this type of crime as theft and deception offences, in which it's usually elderly people are being target, targeted, and they are organised criminal gangs. And there was one pensioner recently who was a victim of this fraud speaking in the Irish Independent today now the man wants to remain anonymous but he's a pensioner living in Ranala in uh, Dublin and he wants his case to be highlighted A because he's trying to catch the culprits who conned him out of money but he also wants his story to get out there in the hope and warn off other potential victims now it seems he was conned out of €850 that was a deposit for building work but they wanted the full job would have costed €5,000 in uh, cash. He said he was also then invited to take part in an insurance scam, which seems totally and absolutely uh, bizarre. Now, his case has been investigated by the Gardaí and Donnybrook, who are, who are following a definite line of inquiry. They just haven't made any arrests uh, yet. But the Gardaí do say their investigation has been helped by the fact that this pensioner in Ranala was able to provide details of the vehicle used by the alleged con man. He also had phone numbers. He also had what the guard that you're describing as a rather slick website which is allegedly linked to the uh, scam. The particular gang originally came from Munster but they now appear to be based in Dublin. Now seemingly what happened was it was only a few weeks ago. It was the Easter week, actually, the 14th of Thursday, the 14th of April. He said there was a knock on his door and he went out and there was a young man there who produced a leaflet to say that they were doing roofing repairs. So this gentleman took in the leaflet and was, you know, taking a look over the leaflet. leaflet. And as he was looking over the leaflet, another roof worker arrived. Now, this time it was a man in his mid-50s. He described him as large build, ginger hair. And he described him as speaking with a Munster accent. And he suggested that the pensioner should walk go over across the road with him and look up at his roof because he wanted to point something out to him. So he obviously he did that. And then this man, who obviously great con artist and a man who was, you know, had the, all of the sales pitch, started saying, see that up there in the roof? That's slippage of the slates. And he said, you need to get that fixed because if you don't get that fixed, you know what's going to happen. The rain is going to come in the winter and you'll have huge problems. And this roofer said, I can do that job for you and I can do it for €600. Euro. So that was on... Thursday of Easter week so the following day was Good Friday man returned on Good Friday had scaffolding out all erected started to do the work the pensioner was happy enough and seemed you know I'm probably lucky here now because I wouldn't have noticed the slippage of the tileage when lo and behold the roofer gets down off the scaffolding and says ah man sorry no sir big problem here very serious problem you've got dry rot in the timber because the water has already leaked uh, through now by the way investigations by a reputable roofer has subsequently said there was no such damage your man was just completely chancing his arm anyway the trip back to the rogue tradesman he then said I now need a deposit of 850 euro and the total job will cost just under 5,000 so I'll need another 4,000 after that so you need to give me 850 euro so this poor old pensioner went down to the bank 
bank. He got the cash out and gave it uh, to uh, him. And then the con man was explaining the amount of damage that was on the roof and it actually was even going to be a bigger job. And he reckoned that if you wanted to get the job done properly, it was going to cost €9,000. But then the con man started saying, but don't be worried about that. Have your house insurance, which obviously this gentleman did. He said the house insurance will cover it. And then he suggested, this is the real sting in the tail. He says, I'll put in the claim for you for €15,000. I'll take my 9000 I'll take the nine grand out of it to cover the work and then you can get the rest back for, you, for yourself. I'll look after all of the insurance paperwork. And he went on to explain that he'd done it in other building jobs uh, before. That straight away then got this man really, really uh, suspicious. He said he was starting to feel really pressurised. They were looking for the 5,000 in cash. They were suggesting he went straight down to the bank and uh, get it. So he just decided at that stage, no, don't want to get involved uh, in in. It sort of lost all confidence in you, particularly when you're asking me to get involved in an insurance scam. And then the man left and he hasn't been seen, hasn't been seen since. But the pensioner then was appealing to people to be careful if tradesmen arrive at your door unannounced offering to carry out work. And it is kind of the same piece of advice that we constantly give. We often reference it on our crime file slot on a Thursday. But whenever any of these cases rear their ugly heads that's always the same message if you need to have a job done on your house then go with somebody locally that's recommended uh, to you a local business that you know that if the work isn't done properly you'll be able to go back to them but never ever ever entertain somebody who either just puts a leaflet through your door or somebody who calls to your door telling you that you need to have work done on your roof you get work done on your roof when you know for sure you need it as we've just heard on the news with Barry there at uh, 10 o'clock, a call has been made to the GAA to do all it can to ensure that the upcoming Cork Kerry Munster Senior Football Championship semi final will be accessible to all to view free on TV. Making the plea, Finnegan Senator Tim Lambert, who joins me. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning. And you're welcome. Now, your main concern here is that the match is, as we now know, is in Porky Rin and therefore capacity will be less. Are you fearful many will be disappointed as they just simply won't be able to get, there won't be enough tickets to go around? Yeah, look, the capacity of Porky Rin, which is a beautiful stadium, is roughed around 11,000 people for this match. Like if we had this in Porky Keefe, it obviously would have been a multiple of that. So, like, capacity for a real iconic, you know, Cork-Kerry clash has been greatly reduced. And I am really fearful that there will be very limited tickets and people won't get access. And the knock-on implications of that is because of the way we put a deal in place with Sky to be the only carrier of the battery game on their platform means that it's going to be very limited for people to actually watch this match. And I just think that's wrong. I just think we need to do something different here. And particularly in a one-off setting where you have an unusual kind of a range of events because of a concert, small, uh, smaller events that can actually smaller capacity at the event, people just won't be able to see a really iconic Cork Kerry clash. Okay, yeah, it is. It will be televised on Sky, but that's yeah. only for people who have um, Sky Sports. Would there be a financial loss though to the GAA if they took this match away from Sky? There probably would, but you know what? I think there's a goodwill, a goodwill gesture required here. They're going to hopefully raise an awful lot of money out of the concert that's going to happen in the Ring with um, Ed Sheeran coming to town. And I think when you look at the actual J fans, the real hardcore J fans, which really is the football fans, like they need to see this actual match. They need to, they'd love to be there, but like obviously capacity is so tight. 
that they should have the opportunity to watch it on, on the actual national platform RT, which will be free to air. And I think that's probably where I am. Like, this is a really unusual set of circumstances. It's a small capacity in the stadium. It's, you know, basically on a platform that is really limited access for a certain cohort of people. And whether you're elderly or whether you're in a kind of financial situation, not everyone can afford Sky. And, like, we're now limiting it and making it kind of exclusive for those people who can actually afford Sky. And that, to me, just doesn't sit well. So I think, yeah, yeah there but, is a yeah, financial Yeah, and I know that the GAA, they make a lot of money out of these uh, broadcasting uh, rights. Uh, and I was reading in the paper, I think the current agreement ends this year. Would you yeah. like to see more free-to-view matches? Yeah, so that current agreement is extended for one year because of COVID. So the new agreement is is going to be put in place uh, for the next year for probably five years as well, even though like that that's decided. I do think this idea about in particular the bigger counties have been discriminated against both the actual Sky uh, platform because they have the capacity to have more people viewing them. So if you're a Cork GA supporter, you're more likely to have your matches at Sky. And because of that, then we're unfortunately being discriminated against. So I think we need to look at how we actually take these contracts up. And the GA is in every parish, it's in every town, it's a part for fabric. I'm a former ch- chairman of a local GA club myself, I know it like, like anyone else. And I just think we just look at, have to look at the community element. It just can't be about profit, it just can't be about what's the actual bottom line here. Because we need to make sure that everyone can watch it. And if we don't see these matches, my kids at home won't be playing them if they don't see them on TV. And that's that'll be point. knock on. That's, yeah, a, good, that's a good point. And I always think, Tim, and, and inevitably we, we'll get calls again in the lead up to this match on there. It's the 7th of May, isn't it? The, the match is yeah. on. There, there'll always be um, older housebound individuals. People were diehard GA supporters all of their all of their lives. And now, you know, no longer may be able to get to the match and certainly with this match there won't be enough tickets uh, available. And, you know, cannot understand why they can't just switch on RTE or Virgin Media and why the match isn't on. But they simply can't afford, you know, Sky packages and you know satellite dishes and all of that. And I always feel for those people because they've given so much to the GAA all of their lives. Yeah, and you know what? That was, that came to bear in the office last uh, Monday week when I had a person in. We were doing a home care package, not we were doing a fair care a fair care deal package for a person in a fair deal. home. Yeah, and what she said to me was, her husband, who's a GA supporter all her all his life, won't be able to watch the matches if they're on Sky because there's no Sky inside the nursing home. Oh, God. And I was like, and it's something I never thought of. And that's the adventure having clinics you get the story of, at the door you go oh god you're so right and I just said oh my god like and that's kind of where I said this has just gone wrong it's gone too far so there has to be a little bit of give and take here like we're basically trying to take our national sport and make it exclusive and if we ever try and manage that we will kill our national sport because the national sport is been up by our people that did so much when they probably didn't have very little and they made the J pitch and the the J grounds into what they are. But we need to support them now in their elderly years. And by having it on an exclusive platform, it just is the wrong thing. And it's, it sits wrong with me. And I think since I've raised this now over the weekend, the amount of people said, do you know what, you're, you're right. And in particular for this once-off venue where there's no access because it's so tight. 11,000 people in Parkering, 
wonderful little stadium, really is. But it's so tight, it's very hard to see how everyone can actually... There'll be, there's going to be a huge scramble for tickets. These, there's going to be as much a scramble for these tickets as there would be for an All-Ireland final because the fact that there's only the, uh, the 11,000. But the GAA, their broadcast rights agreement are worth some 14.5 million per year to the GAA. Like That's a lot of money that the GAA will say we reinvest into and local GAA clubs. Absolutely, and if you take that deal, it was probably done five years ago, it's probably going to be an increased sum when they do the next deal. And because of that, we just need to have a little bit of flexibility for him there. And I just think, like, and I have a good friend up in Sligo called Frankie Field, and he keeps on saying there's never a Sligo match on Sky because there's not enough people in Sligo to actually warrant it. And I think because Cork is so big and it has such a following, because he's dual code, we do get slightly hit harder with this exclusive deal from site, which has a huge impact on us. Well, it's, so it's kind of unfair that we're just so passionate about the game. Oh, totally. Absolutely. That, that, that we end up being financially penalised. Absolutely. And because we're, you know, second biggest count, or second biggest population centre, and because of all those issues about sports and so important for Cork society, and because also this rebel thing, you know, globally there's a huge brand towards and I think because of that, Sky know when they have a, a Cork game, they're going to make money off the back of it. And that's exactly what's going But they're about. a business. And yeah, they, they are a business. You, so you can, you can understand it. Michael, Michael Amado says the simple solution is don't sell these matches to Sky. It's all about money paid from Sky. And they're also now the GAA receiving money paid from the Ed Sheeran concerts. Uh, it, is it not pure greed, says, says Michael? I mean, well, do the GAA really, need to reflect on how much yeah. money they can make? Yeah, look, I know I know there's a debt in Parker Keefe and there's debt in clubs and I just think they need to reflect in particularly on the current circumstances. This is a really unusual circumstance where, number one, Sky have had an exclusive deal for this match, but number two, they've, they've even tightened up the capacity of it. So because of those two things tied together, they just need to think outside the box here and maybe do the right thing here. And the right thing is that have an agreement with one of the other providers that's free to air. So the majority of people who have TVs in their homes have the opportunity to watch it. And it's not a big ask. In many ways, it's, you know, I think this would be a really good gesture for the J. And I think it's not that late. It's like we've literally 10, 14, we've 10 or 15 days to do it. We should be, you know, walking actively to try and solve it now, you know. Yeah, I just don't know what the contract is like with Sky, if they'd be able to get out, get out of it or not. But listen, absolutely, it is certainly worth uh, looking at it. Uh, Dennis Inaharlow is pointing pointing out that Sky Sports do a day membership on now. It's for €10 Euro and it means the GAA fans can see a fixture if you want to pay €10. Uh, Euro. I don't quite understand how that works with now. But again... Two of us. Yeah, but then, but then again, there are people... I mean, you know, to Sky saying to people, look, it's, it's 10 euro for, for the day. If you're living on a very tight budget, you might even have the 10 euro. Well, completely. You if know, you're living on 203 euros or yeah, 248 yeah. euros a week, like that's a really, really large proportion for one day to watch one match. While, you know, you actually pay your licence fee, you're a part of the national broadcaster because of that. And like, you'd be hoping that you could watch the national games on the actual national platform. So, like, it is... Another expense that people could actually do without. And in particular, look, the Ed Sheeran concert is going to make a certain amount of money. I don't know how much for Cork GA. Surely there's a way around this, you know. Yeah, and okay. even, well, let's, yeah. let's wait. And have you, have you, have you contacted 
the GAA yourself, Tim? Do yeah, you have a response? Yeah, so, yeah okay. So you've written the Crow, Crow Park about that on Friday. So we're just waiting for a response okay, back. Okay, let, let, let us know how you how you get on. And of course, seeing as we're talking about this match, this is the match that nearly didn't happen. <laughs> are, are you glad to see the common sense prevailed in the end? Absolutely, absolutely. Look, there was a home and away agreement in place for all it was. Um, and don't get me wrong, I like what to Killarney for matches. I think it's a fantastic venue. But um, look, this is our time to have it in Cork and I definitely think I have to stay there and I think it's the place to have it. Definitely. Okay. Okay. And listen, just before we let you go, we saw this as a breaking story from the Southern <coughs> Star this morning that Councillor Karen Coakley has resigned from Fine Gael. There was an AGM in uh, Dunmanway last night and she's going to continue as an independent. We've been trying to reach out to Karen this morning uh, to find out why, but we haven't heard back from her. Are, are you shocked, disappointed to hear that Karen has left Fine Gael? Yeah, look, we had a very big meeting last night in Dunmanway. There was nearly 400 um, people turned off there. <coughs> Excuse me. And basically, uh, we are having our AGM. We are electing our officers for the constituency for the upcoming year. And there was competitions in every role, which is really positive. And yeah, Karen Coakley made a shock announcement um, during the public rep address. And uh, she announced that she was um, resigning from Fine Gael. And she cited issues regarding the previous general election and how things were handled. And look, I've great time for Karen. She's my running mate. And I really, really like her, you know. And it's really unfortunate that we've lost Karen. I think she has such potential and I think she's a wonderful councillor for Skibbereen. And um, look, I wish her the very, very best in our independent role now as councillor. But um, yeah, it's, um, it, was a, it was a tough night to see one of our competent, capable councillors um, stepping out of the party last night. It really was. Big loss, big loss to the party. I'm just being told that Karen's not available to us, th- to this, mor- to us this morning, uh, but we will be speaking with her this afternoon. OK. All right, listen, Tim, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Thank you. God and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is Fine Gael Senator Tim Lambert. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. It really is hard to believe that today, April the 26th, is the 36th anniversary of the accident at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant, recognised as one of the most serious nuclear accidents in history. To mark the day, I'm joined by Barbara DC, who's a volunteer with the Cork-based charity Greater Chernobyl Cause. Good morning to you, Barbara. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very, I'm very well, and, and thank you for joining us. Do you believe it's important, Barbara, that we never forget this day and what happened in 1986? It's vital. It's vital because um, all of the time, it's kind of skimmed over the danger of nuclear power and the danger of nuclear weapons, and that what results from an accident in a power plant or a nuclear weapon being discharged is radiation that does not disappear. It can't be seen, it can't be heard, it can't be smelled. And once it goes into the water supply and into the earth, what you eat cannot be eaten and you cannot drink the water safely. So um, when people nowadays are talking about nuclear weapons, they're speaking about them as if they're just an ordinary weapon when in fact they're not. They're a weapon that um, affects generation after Mm. generation. And we've seen that from the work we've done in Chernobyl-affected areas. We've seen that the damage to children and uh, the cancer rates and all of that has carried on. 
So yeah, even, um, even 36 years uh, later. Even 36 years And then, years ba- Barbara, seeing Russian troops digging trenches and laying landmines in the exclusion zone around the power plant, I mean, that must hugely concern you. It's, it's, I mean, it's horrific because why are they doing that? You know, that area, 30 kilometres around the Chernobyl power plant has been an exclusion zone since the disaster. No one has been allowed to live there because it's too dangerous. And as I was explaining to John Paul yesterday, your researcher, I could be standing here, I'm sitting inside an office, but I could be sitting here in this place and Tara is sitting beside me. And where I'm sitting might be a very radioactive area and where she's sitting might be less radioactive. You have no way of knowing unless you have a Geiger counter and the Geiger counters cannot read the levels of radiation there. So, I mean, they're not only are they putting everybody else in danger, they're actually putting their own troops in terrible danger by what they're doing. Yeah, but you see, when they pulled out, they pulled out because of radiation sickness. I mean, a lot of those young soldiers had no idea of what even the exclusion zone uh, was. And even though, no. you know, we're talking about an accident that happened 36 uh, years later, hundreds of thousands of people in Ukraine and in the neighbouring countries have all been affected by uh, radiation. So, like, it really, you're making the point quite clearly, it doesn't recognise borders. It does not recognise borders. And it actually affected our own country even when the the Chernobyl power plant exploded. What they were doing was they were doing a test on one reactor. They had four reactors and the test went wrong. And there was a chain reaction and an explosion. And then radiation went up into the atmosphere and was blown all across the world. But it was during the USSR times and the Russians did not tell any of the rest of the world what was happening. They did not tell the Ukrainian people what was happening. And they actually allowed the people to go out for a May Day procession on the 1st of May, um, which was the worst thing that possibly could have been done. Like oh, It's like our St. Patrick's Day parade with all of the children dressed up and they subjected them to that. It was this. It was actually the Swedish who picked up the ra- that the radiation levels were very high, and it was only then that it was discovered what had happened. And even in Wales, um, because of rainfall, uh, there had been um, radiation um, in the soil in in Wales. It actually had affected their uh, sheep, and all of those sheep had to be slaughtered. You know, and it goes around the whole world. It goes in the wind around the whole world. And if if it rains over your country, the radiation comes down with the rain. You know, so like the, yeah. we always have had the problem of Sellafield next door to us. And and, that, uh, and that's really how you got involved in all of this, even before Chernobyl happened. You, yes, you yeah. were worried about nuclear yes. disaster. and Yes, at, well, at the age of 13, I was in... Um, I don't want to tell you my age now, but basically I was born in 1970. And at the age of 13, I was in the, the campaign for nuclear disarmament. Okay. Because we could see after Hiroshima and Nagasaki the effect of a nuclear weapon. I mean, in, in one city, 120,000 people were just killed straight away. And I just felt, you know, nuclear power is cannot be totally safe. They cannot ever guarantee that it is totally safe. And we've Sellafield next door, which is actually 
the most dangerous part of the nuclear chain. It's reprocessing. What they do there is they take the uh, fuel rods from the centre of other nuclear power plants around the world and they extract plutonium, which is the trigger for nuclear weapons. So it is the most dangerous part of the chain. And they cannot but have polluted the Irish Sea. But if there has been a disaster in, well, there have been, but they've covered them up, you know, in the 50s and so on, they, the, the, the plant used to be called Windscale and they changed the name because they wanted to disassociate themselves from the accidents that had happened. Um, so, like, we as a population were in danger and I was very well aware of that and I was aware of how, how impossible it should be for anybody to use a nuclear weapon, you know, how impossible it should be. So we used to go down and do things like protest. Uh, in Cove when an American ship would come in <laughs> because New- Cork was a nuclear-free zone. That's right, and there was all those signs up saying it and people were very proud of it. And you see, they would neither confirm nor deny that they were carrying nuclear weapons when they came in. So we used to go down and we'd have our banners and uh, it wouldn't go down well now, say, with the Americans at all. And say the Dutch used to come in and they'd have long hair and everything and they'd be saying, we agree with you. Well done, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it was, yeah. It was mad. Yeah, and that know? was all before. And then, of course, Chernobyl happened and it was, it was you were sort of Came always saying, through. yeah, this is this is what we have always been um, uh, uh, worried about. And today, uh, Barbara, to mark the 36th anniversary, what will your group, the Great Chernobyl Cause, are you going to mark the day? Well, um, Fiona Corcoran is the head of the Greater Chernobyl Cause and um, we've been friends for a long time. So um, I work in Goggensill National School in Ballinhasic and Fiona is holding a commemoration which has happened annually and we have a long association as in this school with the charity and our children uh, from second and fifth class are going in to sing uh, the Ukrainian national anthem as a a sign of solidarity with the Ukrainian people, especially what, what's happening to them at the moment. They're being attacked and abused again. And who, you know, who, who taught the children the Ukrainian national anthem? Well, I, I attempted to teach the children the okay. Ukrainian anthem. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, they're better at it than me. Okay. And I'm the liability going along uh, to the performance. That's, but that's a lovely sign of uh, solidarity. And I know... The, the children in the school, because obviously the focus is completely on uh, Ukraine at the moment and, and rightly so. And I believe the sixth class pupils got involved. Yes. But well, we uh, we were very lucky. Maureen Burke, our principal, is very supportive of the Ukrainian cause and was very upset by what she saw. And we had a conversation about we have to do something. We have to do something. So we opened it up to the kids in the whole school. And I'll put you on to Tara now, and she will tell you exactly what the school okay, has done. This is, this is young Tara Hennessy, who is a sixth-class six pupil. She is, and She's, you could stay for an hour with her now okay. on the phone without right, me at all. All right, put, okay. Tara, put Tara on. Thanks, Barbara. Put Tara on. Good morning, Tara. Good morning. Good morning. You're, you're a sixth-class pupil. Yeah, I'm in sixth class. Okay, so you decided, obviously... You've been seeing what's happening on, on TV and no doubt hearing at home about the situation about in the school. What what did you decide to do? So my school, Goggins Hill, sent out an appeal to kind of the greater Goggins Hill, Ballonhasic area to like set up a collection for like essential supplies that the people 
who have just come out of Ukraine are on the Polish border, they need, and just to collect things like that. So toiletries, was it things like that? Was it? Did you send food? Uh, food was sent, oh. toiletries, uh, baby food, blankets, clothes, everything like that, medicine as well. So everything arrived into the school? Yeah, people, local people and child, uh, parents of children in the school were dropping off, like honestly, full shopping bags full of just supplies. Mm. People for are great. everyone. And then did you have to try and pack everything? Yeah, it was a whole school effort, but sixth class kind of led it a little bit. We like packed the boxes, we labelled them and we put them into these. We managed to fill, because the response was so great, we managed to fill two full transit vans full of just supplies. So sixth class took the, kind of took the lead and we packed the boxes with all of our teachers as well. And how did you get them to, to the Ukrainian border? Well, we put them in the transit van and they went to a very large uh, container in the Port of Cork. Okay. And that was then put on a ship and driven to the uh, Ukrainian-Poland border to where the Ukrainians had just gotten out. And did they get there? Did you, did you find out? Did they get there safe? They did, did get they? there safe. Oh, isn't yeah. that great? And as, you know, as a young pupil, a young sixth-class uh, pupil in, in Goggin Hill, how, how did you feel getting involved in a project like this? It felt really nice because in Ireland we're so far away from Ukraine. You might feel a bit sort of, I don't know, helpless that you can't really do anything physically because we're so young. But it felt nice that we were, because we knew that they got there safely, that we were making a difference by giving our time to pack the boxes and to make the donations that we actually made a difference to people's lives like children like us. Well done. Well well done. You're, You're sixth class. Have you made confirmation? I have, yeah. I've okay. made my confirmation. Okay, so, and then heading into secondary school next September. Yeah. Where will you go? I'm going to Bandon. Yeah, great school, great school. All right, listen, and have you any have you any thoughts on what you'd like to do on leaving school or is that... Oh, I, I don't, I don't know. No yet. idea. That's pretty no. Fair. Uh, listen, you've got a great humanitarian edge to you. I can see you're going into some kind of a caring role uh, for sure. Listen, Tara, well done to you and all of the pupils at uh, the school because it's it's terrific it's terrific what you what you're doing. Thank you for that. If you just put me back onto Barbara there for a second. Thank you. Thanks a million. That's uh, Tara Hennessy, sixth class, Goggins Hill National School. Uh, Barbara's back with us. Um, what a what a great young uh, child. Have you many l- like Tara? You do obviously. We yeah, we are very very proud of the children in sixth class and the all of our children in Goggins Hill. Um, they were amazing, and so were the staff under the leadership of Moraid Burke. Um, I mean, it, it was a whole school effort, infants all the way up to sixth class. They came in, as Tara said, laden down with mm. stuff, and we had to put it out in the yard first. The teachers packed the bags with them. We had teachers going all over the place, looking for boxes, going to shops, looking for empty boxes, taping it down, labelling. I mean, we opened the school on the Saturday so that... Um, the parents could bring supplies in, huge amount of medical supplies, sleeping bags, all new, camping stove, tents, you name it. Yeah. And Exa- the exactly are, what the people need. On, those everything. On the yeah. They got a, a big list. And actually, some of the parents said they saw other people in Dunn's. They were in Dunn's shopping. They'd done their normal household shop. And they saw people around them with the phone out looking through the list, who were obviously from school as well, uh, doing their second shop 
for the people of Ukraine. Brilliant. Um, and I just think it's wonderful for, for children, for young children to realise how lucky they are and that there's children who are, you know, a plain journey is. away who are having a leading a very different life at the moment. Well, I mean, I suppose the children had anxiety as well about what was happening. You know, they, they were seeing very horrific things on the television. And I mean, we believe here in a holistic education that it's not just about passing on information, that children need to develop themselves as well. So we, we wanted to take the focus off anxiety and put it on to action to show that if they can do one thing to help others, they have power. Well done. You know, well done. And they they are, have power. They are our leaders of the future. Listen, Barbara, it was oh, a real pleasure, real pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for that. And uh, no hi, to, hi to all of the children and staff at Gawkins Hill National School. Thanks I'll, for joining I'll, us. I'll tell them hello. Uh, okay. And um, you can wish us well. You can wish us the best luck now with singing the Ukrainian Absolutely. National Anthem. <laughs> <laughs> they will be brilliant. They will be brilliant. They will. And the charity is actually the Great Chernobyl Cause is sending out a shipment of aid on Thursday in conjunction with the Life Centre. Okay. All right, listen, Barbara, thank, thank you. you for that and thanks uh, for joining us. That is Barbara DC from the Greater Chernobyl Cause. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, yesterday on the programme, we were contacted by Michelle, one of our listeners, and she contacted us uh, in a bit of a desperate state because she'd purchased five tickets to go to Ed Sheeran on this Thursday night here in Cork and then only found out this week that the standing tickets in order to avail of standing tickets children must be over the age of 14. Michelle's dilemma was her three children are 7, 9 and uh, 11 and she was absolutely gutted to think that her children might miss out on the concert and she tried to exchange the tickets at Ticketmaster wasn't getting anywhere so she contacted us she's back on this morning good morning to you Michelle Hi uh, Well we reached out to Aiken on your behalf uh, and explained your dilemma to them and said could you do anything for our Michelle please and they said they would contact you and I believe they did. What happened they, yesterday? They did. I got a phone call from Ticketmaster yesterday evening about 6 o'clock and they exchanged the tickets for us got us lovely seated tickets five together and we're absolutely delighted we are over the moon. So thank you so much for your help. Thanks well, to Aiken promotion. Well, yeah, well in fairness to Aiken, they were really good. As soon as we contacted them, they said, look, they, they couldn't give us any guarantees, but they said they would to leave it with them and, and that they would they, they would sort you out. And as you explained, just for people who missed it yesterday, it's when you're booking those tickets, because your time can run out on it and there's all, it gets a bit frantic. You don't read the small print at the time. You don't. And it's, I suppose it, I was booking it for, as a Christmas present. It was at the time, it was the only concert that was announced yeah. for the Thursday night. So, and as I explained yesterday, I had, I initially picked the seat tickets, but uh, had, had lost them somehow. And then in a panic, got, happened to get five, was delighted and put them straight through. So, and then yeah, it was only when the that. tickets were issued this week that uh, it says, and it's, it is a warning to others as well, if you have bought a standing ticket, they don't allow people under the age of 14. And it's it's for health and safety, is it? They just think it won't be safe it, for I the children? So. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. So, uh, so the, are the children, have you told the children, are they all excited? We did. We told them last night and I say the neighbours could hear the screaming <laughs> of <with> excitement and <laughs> how happy they were. So we were, oh, we're delighted. We just can't wait for it now. It's going to be a, a brilliant night. And I'm assuming 
assuming the only music being played this week on your household is our cheering songs, are they? Oh, absolutely. We're all practicing here. Okay. <laughs> well, enjoy. And you, I don't know if you heard Ken this morning. He was at the, the concert in Co Park on Friday. He said it's just, it's it's incredible. Have you seen any of the footage out of the Dublin concert? No, oh, no, not yet. You're in for some treat. And, oh. and and I'm assuming 7, 9 and 11. Is it their first ever concert? Oh, it is. Absolutely. Oh. So it'll be amazing for them. It'll be amazing for us. It's and it'll be one of those things in years to come you know when people ask what was your first concert and we all have a memory of what our first concert yeah. was boy they're going to be hard pushed to get anything that will top this listen no, uh, thrilled that it all worked out and enjoy the gig Thank you so much and thank you to everybody. Uh, thanks a million, Michelle. Uh, bye bye. And once again, our thanks to Aiken and to uh, Ticketmaster who sorted that out for Michelle. Now, let me go back to some of your commentary coming into the programme this morning. I was speaking with uh, Tim Lombard about the problem that a lot of Cork and indeed Kerry fans are going to have if they want to watch the Cork Kerry Munster football semi final on the 7th of May. We now know that that match is going ahead at the smaller venue of Porky in so there won't be as many tickets as there would be if Porky Queef had been uh, available and the problem is that for people who would love to go along and can't get a ticket they're going to have to instead sit at home or you could go out somewhere as well and watch the match and of course in order to sit at home and watch it you're going to need to have a Sky Sports package or as somebody pointed out you can sign up for a a one day membership but that obviously comes with a cost and not everybody can afford it. And, uh, you know, Tim Lombard is reaching out to the GAA to say, is there anything you can do? to? Because it's a one-off. It's an exceptional case. Could you not make it free to air? And we're waiting to see, will the GAA come back to uh, Tim? And will there be any positive news on that regard? Uh, but I was just talking about, even for the €10 Euro a day, there is a special package that you can get for f- to access the match for one day. I was even making the point, €10, Euro, if you're on a very limited budget, it mightn't sound like much to many people, but to somebody who's carefully watching every single week where all their money is going, they mightn't have the €10. Euro. Well, Mark and Gronin Brawhart said, I was listening to you, Patricia, there, talking about that, the €10. Euro. Just to let you know, I had to cancel my monthly music subscription and my monthly video subscription to Amazon. They were both costing me €22. Now, €22 a month mightn't sound like a a lot, but Mark said, I simply can't afford them. I can barely afford to top up my mobile phone every month. Why? It's because of the cost of groceries and trying to live. I'm just sad now because my money goes nowhere. It can be quite depressing at times, says Mark and Gronin Brawher. And a lot of people will identify with Mark and say, you're right, every time. I even found last weekend, having been away for the week, and so I didn't do a shop, obviously, the previous week. And when I got back late on Saturday, Sunday, I was heading off to do the big weekly shop. And so I hadn't hadn't done it for two weeks. And even in that two weeks, I couldn't get over how everything was gone up in price. Because when I was looking at my trolley, I don't seem to have that much in there. And it seemed to be probably 20, 30 euro more than I normally spend on a weekly shop. And I even came home and did something that I rarely do. I went through the till receipt just to make sure that everything seems to have gone up. So, yeah. And if you're on a very, very tight, limited budget 
you're watching where every single euro is going. So Mark, yeah, absolutely understand uh, what you are talking about. And then just on the whole thing of people going to the match at either Porky Rin or people who are going to Ed Sheeran in uh, Porky Cueve. Anne lives in Temple Hill Lawn and Anne says, Patricia, we have an awful problem with people parking up here in our estate when there are matches on either in Porky Cueve are in Pork Erin. There is nobody manning our park anymore. I am not able to get in or get out of my driveway and some of my other neighbours have the very same problem. God forbid if we needed the fire brigade or an ambulance it wouldn't be possible to come down the park as it is a cul-de-sac and now we see that the Ed Sheeran concert security will not be manning our park and that's from Anne in Temple Hill uh, Lawn. Uh, that's, yeah. And the, the fact that Anne says there's nobody manning our park anymore do I assume at some stage that the GAA used used to put somebody on at the top of the cul-de-sac to stop people going down. Do I take it that that's what used to happen? So I suppose to anybody going to either any of the cheering concerts or if you do manage to get tickets for the Cork Kerry match in Porky Rim, can you please just be a little bit mindful of where you actually park? 0818103103 and thank you to a listener who sent me on. This was from Twitter. I think it was it last night. 26th or was it earlier today uh, I think it might have been earlier to no might have been earlier today that this went up on uh, somebody's Twitter feed yeah it was early this morning this went up on somebody's Twitter feed and it's a Twitter feed out of Waterford but I'm wondering it's to do with GPs and not having enough GPs and I know every now and again we will get a call in from a listener who is new to the area are in some cases maybe somebody has a son or daughter who's returned home and they're having real problems trying to sign up with a local GP because most of the GP practices not their fault they'll say we're full we're not taking on any new patients and that's what happened in this particular case this woman says we shouldn't have to beg to be seen by a doctor my daughter is now waiting this was at half six this morning my daughter is now waiting 13 hours in the local A&E departments because not one private GP practice is taking on new patients she's 13 hours sitting on a chair waiting to be seen our health system isn't uh, working and then about an hour later having spent 14 hours in the A&E department her daughter was seen the doctor says oh you need to be seen by a GP that's not something whatever it is that we can deal with here in the A&E department and subsequently a local GP has offered to see this woman's daughter next uh, week so the the young woman is packing up at the A&E department and coming home but she is still unwell and that's one of the reasons that the you know we're always told don't go to the A&E department unless it's an emergency but obviously if this young girl I mean I have no idea what is wrong with her but even something as simple say she's a really bad kidney infection and I say that because I've suffered with kidney infections in the past and I know the pain of it and I know the discomfort of it and the only way you can sort it is to get an antibiotic and if you can't get into a GP in order to get the antibiotic and you're in a lot of pain I can see why somebody would say I'll go to the A&E and hopefully they will be able to sort me out but then that clogs up the A&E department not this young girl's young woman's fault she's been doing her best to try to sign up with a GP and I would just be fearful with the number of God help us those poor Ukrainian refugees coming into this uh, country will we have enough GPs it depends on you know particularly if they go to some of the very rural areas and we know that they are being certainly there's a lot of emergency housing going on in rural areas will the local GPs be able to cope I, I certainly think not if we are already struggling 
for people to sign up with a local a GP. And just on the Ukrainian refugees, something that we mentioned yesterday, and it's it's back up again because I think it's, it's all over the papers, and this is the issue of housing the refugees as they arrive. John was on from the city to say, the, we mentioned yesterday that um, the government, it's the Housing Minister Darrell O'Brien today, is bringing plans to their cabinet to see if there's any empty social housing properties. Council houses is what he's talking about. Is there any voids and if they could be put back in use. Now, I read in the papers today that Darrow uh, O'Brien, the housing minister, is saying these voids will be used for refugees and also those on the council waiting list. It's understood the council will be given greater flexibilities to acquire houses, especially those that can be used to house homeless people, those people who have disabilities, those who fall under the Housing First programme, including people with alcohol and substance abuse. And a government source was keen to emphasise that the homes, particularly the council voids, will be used to house homeless people and the wider market and not just refugees who are fleeing war-torn Ukraine. And I imagine that a lot of the government members were getting stick because there was so much publicity being placed. Um, The council's been asked to take a look at empty council properties they had to house Ukrainian refugees. And we were flooded yesterday with calls from people saying, what about our own? You know, people saying that they were on the council housing list for you know, so many years still not getting a house. We heard about people saying, you know, there's Irish people living in hotels. They've been living in hotels for many months. Some have been even in there for over a year. They're waiting to get housed by the council. And people were annoyed to to think that suddenly now all of those voids that have been there all along were suddenly going to be used for the Ukrainian refugees. And that's what John is on about this morning. And he's saying, you know, how can suddenly all these boarded up houses be suddenly become available for Ukrainian refugees. He went so far as to say it's treason against the Irish people. But he makes a very strong and a valid point. It's not the Ukrainian people's fault. They haven't come here looking to take a house away from, say, an Irish person who might need that, that house. They are fleeing a war. So it's nothing, you know, it's, it is not their fault. Uh, but he also wants to know what are the parties of the left doing? And he cites Sinn Féin, People Before Profit, Solidarity and all of the other parties to the left and independence. They have got it all wrong. Why could they not have refurbished these houses all along? Why is it taking a war in Ukraine for it to be, it to be done? He's autocritical of Michal Martin and saying he's doing all of this work to make him look good in uh, Europe. Michal Martin, I think, will completely disagree with you on that, uh, John. But I, the, the point John is making, I think, is summed up by a lot of people. People are annoyed that if suddenly the council are going to make voids available, that you know, why is it taking a war in Ukraine for those voids to suddenly become available? But as I say, the government are at pains to point out that any council houses that become available will not just be for Ukrainian refugees. They'll be for homeless people and for the wider market. And then a flood of similar calls. Ger was on to say he was in Cork City on Saturday night, couldn't get over the number of homeless people out on the street. Yet we're talking about housing 30,000 Ukrainian uh, refugees. What about our homeless people? What about the people who are living in in uh, hotels. Joseph in Mayfield says we need to cap the amount of refugees. We can't house them all. Kay Bandon was on to say she had a hospital appointment in the city yesterday and she was on the bus. Couldn't get over. She hadn't been in the city obviously for a while. She couldn't get over when she was in the city suburbs the amount of boarded up houses. Cannot understand how they've been boarded up for so uh, long. Why has nothing been done with some of these houses for the past five years? And Helen believes that as soon as the house becomes vacant there should be a time limit set on 
she cites the example if somebody dies and that property then is vacant they shouldn't be allowed to go derelict uh, people there should be a timeless limit placed on the house that whoever then owns the house either sells it or rents it out if we need to have legislation so be it it's not the fault of the Ukrainian refugees but the council if they're now suddenly going to make voids available I don't quite know what you mean about a time limit Helen are you saying that you would force people who privately own a house if a house is left to somebody that they, they you can't you, I don't think the constitution would allow you to say that somebody has to be forced to sell a house just because there's nobody living in it I can understand it if it's a council property people get annoyed as to why it's been lying idle for so long but I certainly don't think anyone would agree that private homes people should be forced to sell them or rent them out after a certain period of time of them being empty. Maybe I'm misunderstanding but that's what I'm picking up from your comment 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls text WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs With Munster Technological University Enhance your career prospects With MTU's range of full-time, part-time and professional courses Succeeding together with MTU.ie Ahern Dental Clinic They're based at CUH They've got a vacancy for a dental nurse You need to phone Jennifer Wally Now it is an English telephone number 0044 7538101472 for further details. Alps Alpine in Mill Street, they've got vacancies for general operatives, full time and weekend work. Good level of English is required. Full training will be provided. 029 30677. Permanent night duty position available at St. Gubnitz Nursing Home. It's 36 hours per week. Candidates must have FeedTech Level 5 qualification. Email mora at st.govnets at gmail.com. And Convera Treatment Centre, they're looking for a staff nurse. CVs to fernands at kunvera.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now, councillors in Cork have criticised the decision to curtail access to Spike Island, which is a premier tourist attraction, not just here in Cork, but indeed in the entire country. To find out what's going on, I'm joined by Councillor Marcia Dalton. Uh, good morning to you, Marcia. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, uh, Thanks for having me on. Well, you're welcome. Now, your concerns are the closure of the after hours of the pier at Spike Island. Can you explain to us what's happening here? I can. So, it's not actually the closure of the after hours. Um, so, Spike Island, as you know, is an island in the very middle of the epicentre of Cork Harbour. Um, and it has... When it was transferred from the Department of Defence to Cork County Council, the joy of being able to land on the island for boat owners was unparalleled. I I grew up on the shores of Cork Harbour. My family had the privilege of always having little boats. We're talking punts and things like that. So the the harbour was like a playground for us and never, ever could we go on Spike Island. Uh, it It was unauthorised access, couldn't land on it unless you got into trouble and even then you got into trouble for landing on it when you were in trouble. <laughs> when Cork County Council took it over in 2010, um, I remember personally the experience of being able to land on the shoreline. It's a rocky shoreline. Um, there's a tiny little beach in one area, maybe two areas, but nothing wonderful, but just the 
oh my God, I can't believe I'm standing here, experience. And that has never left me. When one lands on Spike Island, one genuinely gets the feeling of being offshore. So it is a wonderful product, tourism product, which has won awards left, right and centre. The fortress on the island itself is part of an integrated package for visitors offered by Cork County Council. And can I I say a fabulous day, an absolutely fabulous day out. Unparalleled. Yeah. A fantastic day out, a wonderful visitor experience, truly world class, you know, genuinely can't take it from them. It's wonderful and they're busy time and that's only to be lauded. However, if one wants Spike Island, the the vocabulary, if you like, that is used by Cork County Council is that any access is unauthorised unless one uses the registered fair service. So to do that, one must now book a trip. So if, for example, I was to rock up in my kayak which, of which there are many users in the harbour, or my little punt, I theoretically am not allowed to land on the shoreline. I can't pull up my boat on the rocky shore, sit there, walk around the island. Um, there are many beautiful walks which one can access free of charge if one has a little boat like, like mine. I'm not allowed to do that anymore. In the old days, when they built the pontoon, one was allowed to land on the south side of the pontoon. The north side, the cove side, if you like, is maintained for the ferry service, and we all understand that. That's critical, that's a commercial service, and they need unfettered access. But the south side, the other side of the pontoon, you could set down and you could walk the island and enjoy your time and not access the fort. Now one is no longer allowed to do that. At any time. So it isn't just... At any time. Okay, it isn't just out of hours. It's any time. No, and and, not. The, and so so you're, you're technically back to the way it was when it was under the remit of the Department of the Defence. Correct. That is and how why? it appears to be. Why? I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Now, there is a notice on the Spike Island website which says that unauthorised access has resulted in littering and graffiti and vandalism. Ah, I accept that. And that's the same with any public park. They say that the island is comprehensively CCTV'd. Um, I think that's a really good idea so that any such perpetrators could be identified and followed up. I think that's a really good idea. Mm. But what I don't understand is why public, essentially Spike Island is a public park. Um, I accept that the fortress at the epicentre of that public park is a visitor attraction and that it should be paid for entry. But, I but don't that's the way. That's but 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 that's not what we're talking about here. I mean, correct. even even in your kayak or your punt, uh, if you if you wanted to get access to to the pontoon, you're still restricted. You can't go into the the fortifications. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what we're as users of Cork Harbour are saying, we need access to the green spaces. We need access to the foreshore. We need access to the walks. It's public property. Public money is keeping it going. We laud the visitor attraction. We encourage it. We're so proud of it. But let us have access to those public areas that we deserve to have access to. So that's the message that's coming from us um, as public users of the island. And to be honest with you, Patricia, there are two issues here. There's one about the island per se, and there's the other about the use of Cork Harbour generally. So we have a wonderful offering in Cork Harbour. It's a world-class harbour. It's the, purportedly the second largest natural harbour in the world. But the reality is that if one is somebody who has a boat in the harbour of whatever size, or if one is visiting the harbour in a boat of 
typically a larger size, there are very few places where you can go. Um, almost every marina or pontoon facility is private. Um, if one can't land in places like Spike in a respectful, reasonable way, um, then really there are very few places we can go. And the concern is we're not developing that recreational visitor offering side of the harbour in the way that we could. That's what we need to do. We need to do everything for visitors when they come to make it as pleasant and as nice an experience as possible. Okay, so when you raised your issue issue at um, Cork County Council, and do do I assume that the decision was taken by the executive of Cork County Council? Was it or who made the decision? Probably not. So both Spike Island and Camden are run by separate companies within Cork County Council. So they would have directors and they would have those, I presume, a board of directors. And again, we don't get updates on these regularly, which I think is unfortunate, and we've now asked for same. Um, and I would imagine the decision was taken there by that company. OK, so you're not letting it go, is what, is what you're saying. We're not, and we yeah. can't, because both two of us now, there are six um, councillors within the municipal district of Carrigaline, and two of us have had representations from a number of people on this. Um, so people feel very strongly about it, like mm. really, really strongly about it. When in the old days, prior to 2019, when my municipal district was Balancholic Carrigaline, we used to feel very envious on this side of the city about the regional park facility in Balancholic. And we used to wish that there was something similar on the south side of the city, if you like, you know, the Douglas sort of um, area for people who live there. And one of the things that I was very, I felt very strongly about was in ways we do. We have Cork Harbour. Cork Harbour is our regional park and we need to develop it as such. And people who have already the benefit of getting to the harbour, be it in a smaller boat or a bigger boat, they understand that. Mm. They know the benefit that Cork Harbour can bring and the joy and unfettered, you know, um, freedom it can offer as a public park. And we need to build on that. That's yeah, a massive uh, yeah, offering. Yeah, 100%. And just on another issue, did, did I hear you um, state that dogs now are not going to be allowed onto the island? Yeah, that, that is in black and white. Dogs, unless they're service dogs on a lead, are not allowed on the island. Because I'm... One of the days that I went out a couple of years ago, I remember there was a lovely uh, family and they were in a... I'm sure they came... They were in a motorhome. They were from somewhere up the country and they were visiting the area and they had their little dog with them. Now, the dog was on a lead and everything. It was... Yeah. They were on the ferry with us going going over because, I mean, they obviously couldn't leave the dog because they were going to spend the day out in the island as we did and they couldn't leave the dog tied up in the motorhome all day. So, I mean, if if they weren't... If they they arrived this year, then that's two passengers down because they can't leave the dog. Correct. So what they say on the website is that it's to protect the island's wildlife Fair enough, but a dog on a lead isn't going to do anything. Alison, this well, this was a little chihuahua on a lead. You know, what I mean, and I because I saw them at, at, for the day. I saw them. They were carrying the, the the little fella half the time. Do you know what I mean? It was a small little dog. They, they, I do. It wasn't running. I mean, you could have it. Could 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 you not say allow dogs, but they must be on a lead? I mean, you that know what I mean. That to me would seem to be yeah, the reasonable compromise. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, the big issue with Spike is that I think it's creating this sense of exclusivity. I'll give you a personal example. So two years ago, my daughter made her confirmation. It was all during COVID period. And we took our little punt, 14-foot tim- timber punt with a five-horsepower engine on the back over to Spike. The island was closed. We rolled up on the foreshore. Um, we had a picnic on the foreshore. It was a, an afternoon. I had five kids, right? Yeah. So if the island was open 
and I was to do things by the book. I would not have been allowed to do that. I didn't know at the time it wasn't allowed, but I would not have been allowed to do that. And we would have had our picnic on the foreshore via the ferry access. And to cost my family to have a picnic on the foreshore and a short walk around the foreshore would have been 130 euros. Yes, you wouldn't have done it. I mean, you just there wouldn't you have done it. Yeah. 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 So it's okay. that kind of access to public areas. All we right. all respect the visitor attraction. We laud it. We want to see it built on. But there's a balance to be it has achieved to be, here. Yeah, it has to be available for local people as well, for sure. OK, listen, uh, let us know when you hear back from the management of Spike Island. I'd, I'd be really interested in their uh, response. And just before I let you go, a busy day yesterday. The Cork County Development Plan for the next three years was approved? Next six years. Next, next six, six years. years. Next six yeah. years. Massive, so, massive day. Yeah, busy, long day, I imagine. We've had longer. By the time we get to the, the yesterday's meeting time, a lot of the stuff in the background has been debated um, and already approved. But the number of hours that go into the council development plan are truly something that's difficult to describe unless one's part of it. Um, I know management will say there's been, oh, let's see, 68 statutory meetings um, throughout the procedure, which takes two, three years, you know. Yeah, it's received over yeah. 3,000 submissions, 30 weeks of public consultation. It, it's a huge, big deal. Yeah, I read earlier over two years in the planning. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. It's really incredible. Yeah. But it will, it will carry the county through from this year, 2022 to 2028. Correct, well, it will. Well. And this one is a little bit different from county development plans that went before it. So apart from the fact that it's now looking at a new boundary for the county, in the old days we would have had a county development plan and then separate municipal district area plans. Mm. And this time they're all incorporated into, into one. Into the one, yeah. yeah. And it's a good thing. Yeah. It, yeah, it really helps us a, a holistic view of the, of the county, you know. Okay, we're blessed to live in this beautiful county. Listen, Marcy, I leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks a million, Patricia. Good morning bye bye. to you. Bye-bye. That is Cork County Councillor Marcia Dalton. 0818-103-103. Lines open. Cork Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. In February of this week, I spoke to Ryan McCarthy about a fundraising campaign for Kiss Game native Mick Cronin, who is recovering from life-changing and catastrophic injuries due to a workplace accident. Well, to find out how Mick is doing and to chat about an event taking place next Sunday, I'm delighted to be joined by Mick's sister and that's Lisa Cronin. Good morning to you, Lisa. Good morning, Patricia. And Thanks for having well, me Well, listen, great to have you on the programme. I suppose, for the sake of listeners, we need to go back to last November. Just remind us what happened to Mick and the injuries he sustained. Yeah, Patricia, I suppose it's something that no family wants to hear to get the call that we received that Thursday in November. Um, Mick went to work as normal. Um, He's a workplace accident and as a result has suffered life-changing injuries. So um, Mick has no movement below his shoulders. My God, in the blink of an eye. In In the blink of an eye, in the blink of an eye, you know, your life goes from thinking about going to work to now the reality of trying to push through um, and to deal with the situation that you're finding yourself in, both mentally and physically. And if I remember rightly, he's a, he's a mad G, he is a mad GA man, Bishopstown GA he's Club. A mad GA man. <laughs> and, you know, that is actually, that's keeping, you know, his interest, his interest in sport, that's keeping him going through the dark days, you know, um, and the support. They held an event in um, 
in St. Patrick's Day, the two days in St. Patrick's Day, both in Bishopstown, and it was just overwhelming, the support that Michael and his family, his wife and his two kids, they, he lives in Bishopstown now, um, received. So that was, a, that was a heartwarming event and just overwhelming the amount of support that he received. They were the hashtag um, matches for Mick, wasn't that what the hashtag was? That was, that was hashtag for Mick. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, you know, like he's known as Mick to his wife and to his kids, and but Michael is Michael, you know, traditional Irish son. He's known as Michael to us, you know, yeah. he gets the full titles. Absolutely, and, that's, and it's only in families where that happens. To everybody else, he's Mick, but he's your brother, yeah. he's Michael. He's Michael. He's Michael. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, when last we spoke, uh, Michael was in yeah. CUH and there was the chance, and obviously he was going to head to the National Rehabilitation Centre in Dunleary. Has that happened? That has happened, thank God, Patricia, that's happened. So he moved there about two weeks ago. So he settled in. He's delighted and we're delighted that he's there. He's settled in and they're assessing him now, really, to see what programme you know, that um, that he'll be working on. And, you know, Michael is the kind of person, let me tell you, that whatever they get him to do, he'll give it 150%. And hopefully that would help him, you know, with his recovery as and well. And if my memory serves me right, that was earlier, because it was when we were talking, it was likely the start of the summer. So he's obviously done well if he's got into yeah, to rehab quicker. Yeah, and, you know, with, with COVID and the mix and everything, you know, um, it, it's just been a very traumatic time. So he's pushed through, you know, the last week he really pushed on. He's an amazing man is all I can say, given the extent of his injuries, you know, um, and he's pushed on and he's got himself to Dunleary. Brilliant, brilliant. And of course, yeah. there's a family here, uh, you know, outside of his siblings. There's also uh, his wife, Karen, and there's two teenage children. Two teenage, two teenage children. Yeah, uh, Alva and Sean. And Karen has been his rock. And all I can say about um, Alvin and Sean is that they're amazing kids. They're a credit, actually, to both to both Michael and Karen. Yeah, Alva's doing her leaving cert, isn't she? She's she doing her leaving cert, and Michael is living here. every moment. You can just imagine, you know, yeah. he wants to hear every detail, and you know, he's from the bed, he's willing around, and you know, wants to know everything that's happening. So. You know, he's still obviously very involved in, in that. They're his, they're his life. His family's, you know, he's a family man and they're his life. Will they be able to get to see him much now that he's moved to Dunleary? Yeah, yeah. So Karen has been up to see him and we're hoping that we get to see him, we'll say, um, in two weeks' time, we'll, we'll need to book in. But they're very strict because I suppose it, the focus for Dunleary is to get Michael as well as they can and to push him on. Hopefully they will be able to, you know, in the in the weeks to come, they will be able to get up to see him. But they're on the phone to him daily. Are they? You know, and and technology is great. Can you FaceTime, Zoom? Can that all yeah, be Yeah, all of that. Yeah. You know, and they're trying to build up his voice, you know, because obviously he had to relearn how to breathe, you know, his swallow, you know, all of that. So they're trying to build up his strength and his voice so that he'll be able to use voice-activated technology for all of that. So that's all ahead of him. God, this really is catastrophic injuries. It, it, really, it, it really, really is. It really, it, it really is. Whoa. And I think, you know, yeah, and I really do think that's, you know, it's striking a chord with people. Um, and, you know, he knows so many people because that's the kind of character he is. He's just very chatty, you know, not a good guy, a nice guy. Um, and, you know, people are hearing his story and they're just thinking, oh, my God, it could be my husband. Mm-hmm. It could be my son. It could be. And, you know, they're doing whatever they can to help. And we're so extremely grateful for that. Yeah, there, but for the grace of God, go go any of us. And I remember uh, 
when I was talking with Ryan in, in February and when he was describing, you know, the type of character and man that Michael was, you know, I made that point to Ryan that Michael sounded like the guy that if this had happened to anybody else, he'd be first out the front to organise fundraisers and what can we do to help? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's a testament to his character, Patricia, you know, the high support that's being shown to Michael, um, you know, that, that he's held in high regard and most certainly he would be one of the first people that would be out the door to say, let's see what we can do. We have to help out here. And that would be the that type of person he is. And long term, I'm assuming, Lisa, the plan is with all of the fundraising that's going on. I mean, I take the house is going to need to be adapted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the first thing. So obviously he's working with Karen and they're working to get the planning put in to, to change the house to accommodate a wheelchair. Um, and it will obviously all have to be the lower floor. So all of that's been worked on. Um, and then obviously he's going to need, it looks like he's going to need 24-hour care seven days a week. So care plan will need to be put in. Um, and just to make his life as comfortable as possible when he gets home, you yeah. know. So we're and doing as much as we can. And so that's the get, goal. The goal it. is to get Michael home. That's, and that's, the goal yeah. is to get him, home, <laughs> yeah. get him home to Bishopstown, you know, to yeah. get him back to his family. Um, and that that's our goal. Yeah, that's our goal. So what's the plan for this weekend? So the plan for this weekend is the Sunday, the bank holiday weekend. It's the 1st of May. Um, as it happens, our brother Donal, he runs the tractor garage. So it's Cronin Machinery Sales. So he's after getting roped into it, whether he likes it or not. The idea came up with the tractor and the vintage run. So um, I suppose Kishkane GA have been hugely involved. So we're going back to the GA again after the um, the Bishopstown event. Kishkane uh, GA would have supported that, obviously. But when they came back, they were like, we'd love something. So it's going to be the tractor vintage run. Okay. So that kicks off next Sunday at 12 noon at Kishkame GA grounds. Uh, it's 20 euro to register a tractor or a vintage vehicle. And I suppose people can also help out by buying tickets with um, spot prizes. Local businesses have been so kind. They've donated. We've got a lot of spot prizes. So uh, people can buy tickets for those in the day as well. And uh, there'll be refreshments. And hopefully we'll be telling people to bring the sun factor that will be a day like today. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I was, I, well, I mentioned earlier, Met Aaron was saying we're in for, for the rest of the week. So please God, it'll, it'll run across the weekend as well. So, run so across, it'll, yeah, it'll be lovely. Run across and as you say, Michael is very aware of everything that's going on and that this is really helping him. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's giving him a focus outside of what he has to do in rehab. So he is waiting for the phone. You know, our brother Connor has been absolutely brilliant. He he has been there with Karen through Michael's worst part of his journey. Um, he worked in Cork, so he was going in to see him. You know, um, and um, and Connor obviously continues to be you know a main contact for the family, and he wants to know exactly who's at the meeting, <laughs> what we're doing you know, giving out about certain things. Why are you doing this? You know, so he knows exactly. And I suppose it is, it's giving him a focus and it's a little bit of excitement for the want of a better word, you know, when, you, when you're going through your, the new normality for him, you know, giving him a, a focus outside of himself. Um, in, the right, in the right place, you hear nothing but great, great yes. words from, from Don Leary. They're, they're an amazing bunch and what they can achieve is incredible. Yeah, and we, and we have hope, you know, and the amount of prayers yeah. Um, we just want to say thank you. I, like he is, like Father Kennelly, our parish priest in Kishkame said, for a man who hasn't lived in the parish for the last 20 odd years, the amount of prayers, the amount of people who are coming and asking. So he's one of the most prayed men. So prayers can help us <laughs> out there. Um, but also just, yeah, just to say thank you for everybody, for their kindness, their generosity, 
and you know just for even coming up to my mum and dad like they're you know they're they're obviously feeling it like nobody wants their son to be in this situation um and just asking you know the simple thing how is he doing is there anything we can help and just having the chat with them you know that that's all helping yeah it's tough it's tough on your parents as well uh, for sure and never ever yeah. ever give up on that hope uh, lisa and certainly yeah. he's got michael has an amazing family behind him and that's yeah. that's what will keep him yeah. going best of luck at the weekend and let us know if there's anything else that we can advertise or let people know about and send on our best wishes to uh, we Ma- will, Michael. We will, of course. He'll be listening. He does, I, I'm not quite sure if he knows him or know, but he'll be listening to this later. Okay. So he'll hear all of it. Okay. Hi, Michael or Mick, whichever you prefer to be called. We're thinking of you. Yeah. Listen, Lisa, uh, pleasure to speak to you. Thanks, Patricia. We hope to see a big turnout on Sunday. Absolutely. Take care. God bless. Uh, right. Bye bye. Bye bye. That it really is tough uh, on the Cronin family, but they have they have great strength. And as Lisa said, they'll never give up on the hope. You're listening to Cork today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We were talking about housing earlier on and empty houses, and we were talking about them with regard to them being made available for Ukrainian refugees. And then a number of people are saying, "What about the homeless Irish?" And what about people who were forced to live in emergency accommodation like hotels, desperately in need of houses. And that prompted people then to talk about boarded up houses that are in their area, be they council houses or be they privately owned houses. And Helen, one of our listeners, had suggested that if needs be, and I'm assuming we would need legislation to change this, that there should be some laws and rules put in place that after a certain period of time, if a home is vacant and you know, the suggestion she was that somebody had died, nobody has lived in the house that after a certain period of time that the government should intervene and force whoever and now has responsibility for that house to either rent it out or to sell it on, particularly bearing in mind that we're in a housing crisis at the moment. And I was just making the point, I can certainly understand it when council properties are left boarded up. It can be really, really frustrating for uh, people. But I was saying, could you really, could we ever see a change in the constitution that would force somebody who owned, even if it is a vacant private property, could we ever see rules put in place that the government would in some way intervene and force that person to either rent it out or to sell it out. And I was saying, I don't know if I could see that and how people here in Ireland, because, you know, when it comes to property, we all like to own our own property and family homes are important. And for some families, you know, passing on the family home down through the generation, you know, for others, they can never see a situation where a family home would be would be sold. So I was wondering, you know, how would that float with people? The idea that the government would intervene and force somebody to either sell or rent out the property. Then, lo and behold, here's an example, I suppose, of what can happen with an empty property. Listener says, my grandfather died back in 1995. He didn't have a will and he was the sole owner of the house. His wife, I'm assuming this listener's grandmother, then went on to live in the house, but she didn't do anything about probate. She then died seven years later in, or 17 years later in 2012. Nothing was then done either about the probate on the death of the grandmother or the death of the grandfather. The house is now 10 years later, lying derelict, mainly down to one family member refusing to take it uh, over. Also, within two to three miles of my own house, there are at least another dozen houses in similar situations. So Helen and her suggestion is bang on. If there's nothing done with probate in 10 years, max, the houses I feel says this system should be taken over by the government and then reallocated and given out to uh, somebody else. And I suppose if a family thought that they were going to lose the property 
strategy completely. It may force the hand and they may decide to do something. But it is shocking and it's also sad, isn't it, to see a home that could have been used to house another family getting into such a state that it then becomes derelict. So maybe, maybe we need to look at uh, something like that. Thank you for your uh, text. And then a listener who doesn't want me to call out her name, which is fine, says, Patricia, there are two, this isn't, I'll just say it's in a North Cork town. There are two empty, fine council houses falling into ruin for at least 15 years close by where I live. I don't blame the poor, misfortunate people fleeing war in Ukraine. The problem in my area, says this listener, houses won't be accepted. So the council obviously offer these houses out to people and nobody wants to live in that area, which is, and therefore they, so there are other reasons why the council have houses that are void. It isn't because they couldn't be bothered doing it up. It's the fact that if they do up the house, they know some people don't want to live in certain uh, areas and that is still going on today. Thank you to that listener for your uh, comment. And then staying on the whole issue with the housing of the Ukrainian refugees, John says, Patricia, how do people feel about €3 billion is what the government are going to pay to support refugees next year? When you break that down, that means 2 million taxpayers will have to pay €1,500 each in order to cover that bill of €3 billion. Surely the EU needs to come up with money and there should be a limit on the amount of people coming into this uh, country. Well, we categorically Artishok Michal Martin has said that there won't be a cap put on it but the 3 million that John is talking about is a figure that was put forward earlier this morning by the Minister for Public Expenditure Michael McGrath. It's expected that he's going to tell the Cabinet a meeting today that the projected cost of helping Ukrainians next year, for the full next year, will be three billion. It had initially been estimated last month that it would cost about two and a half million for all the help that the Ukrainian refugees will need, but they've now upped that figure and I'm assuming they've upped that figure due to the numbers that have been arriving in in this country. The latest figures show 25,173 Ukrainian refugees have arrived uh, in uh, Ireland. Nearly 17,000 of them have been provided with accommodation. The others had family members that they could come and join. The government are still expecting but this this figure is hard to judge. They're still expecting that around 33,000 Ukrainian refugees would have arrived in Ireland by the end of next month. So by the end of May, there will be an additional 7,000 because the numbers have trickled off. There's less. I know, for example, on Sunday, there was only 50 refugees arrived into uh, Dublin, Air, um, Dublin Airport, but they're expecting that number after Easter to go back up again as more people are fleeing and particularly when you look at places like Mariupol and we know there are so many people living in bunkers and have been living under that steelwork down in under the bunker that steelwork for the last two months I mean the situation that those people are living in and when they can get safe passage out they're going to now I'm not saying that they're all going to arrive in Ireland but it is possible that some of them will arrive in Ireland so it's, it's still hard to put the exact figure but the, the estimate is 33,000 people by the end of uh, May so obviously the government need to get all their ducks in a row and work out how much it is going to cost. So they're reckoning three billion for the next year in order to accommodate and house and look after the Ukrainian refugees. God, we need this war to end, do we not? 
uh, as soon as uh, possible. Michael McGrath also said that we can no longer now rely on traditional emergency accommodation like hotels and B&Bs. He says the system is already under real pressure and hence the reason why they've opened up places like uh, Mill Street and he says it's likely that we'll see more examples like that depending on the number of refugees who continue to come into the country but he says we'll do the best that we can for them and the main focus of the Cabinet discussions today obviously is going to be on the accommodation needs of the Ukrainian people and looking at all the available options that are open to the government to find accommodation and to find it as quickly as possible but because Michael McGrath says the system is already under real strain they're at a point where they're going to have to offer accommodation that's not of the standard that they would like and I'm assuming what he's talking about there is having to put up tents and camp beds in tents that's not the ideal but you've got when you've got people fleeing a war situation as I heard somebody say if you've the choice between living in a bunker in Mariupol with bombs going off all around you you've the choice between that and resting your head on a camp bed in a tent in Ireland you'll take the tent in Ireland and it's very understandable why. So anyway, a lot of discussion going on this morning at the Cabinet meeting and no doubt as the day goes on uh, we will hear more more about it. But three billion uh, is the figure that they are stating. Is John right? Should the EU be intervening and giving more funds? I, the only thing I would say on that, John, is the EU will probably, stay, will probably tell you that every other country are doing their bit as well. And while 33,000 sounds like a lot of people here it's a drop in the ocean compared to the number of people that are being housed in Poland or in the other neighbouring countries. Poland is the one that is doing the most, so I'm assuming they have, you know, they have similar financial worries that we have here as well. And John in Cove, while talking of the Ukrainian refugees, wants to know what are the Catholic Church doing? Are they not handing over any of their big houses for the refugees? He also wonders, are government ministers not leading by example? Are they welcoming refugees into their own homes? He also said he was reading in the Sunday Times, a man was commenting that he had a large house in the Midlands and he was unhappy that nobody from the Red Cross had come out to investigate the house as he had offered it to the Ukrainian uh, refugees. But that got John and Cove thinking, why didn't he offer that to Irish uh, families as well if that house was Long Idle. I think the the article that you're referring to was to do with the man. It's, it's a four-bedroom house. It's a fine house. It's a four-bedroom house. It's his mother's house and it's vacant at the moment and he'd gotten onto the Red Cross and he was very peeved that he'd had a couple of initial calls but nobody had come back to look at the house and he reckons you know it would house probably four-bedroom houses. You might get two little Ukrainian families in there together as to why he's, not, why he's not offering it to Irish families I've no way of knowing but just on the Red Cross there's been uh, nearly uh, 6,000 offers of vacant homes or spare rooms have been deemed suitable to house Ukrainian refugees that's out of the 25,000 that were pledged by the Red Cross to date 1,900 vacant properties offered have been deemed suitable they've been sent on to the Department of Children um, in order for them to decide uh, who, which Ukrainian refugees will go into their houses. There's another 4,000 spare rooms. Now, these are spare rooms in family homes 
they've also been deemed suitable but they haven't yet been sent to the department because in many cases the hosts were saying look we can offer that room to a family with children and in order to do that all the families need to be Garda vetted and while the Red Cross say they did receive over 25,000 offers of housing nearly 4,000 pledges were later withdrawn by the homeowners there was a further 1,000 people couldn't be contacted and then about 900 properties had been offered twice so the figure wasn't exactly 25,000 in the end and looking down at looking through the numbers from the Red Cross 156 cases people have been offered a house housing to the Red Cross have already taken in refugees so they can come off the list uh, and they did that you know they did it off their own back before they were formally contacted uh, by the Red Cross 559 people contacted say they could not commit to housing refugees long term but they would be willing to take in individuals or families on an emergency basis and some said look I would willingly take people in for a month because I think when the Red Cross put out the offer to house people there was a lot of people of the belief that this war wouldn't go on I mean, we're now over two months since the war started and a lot of people didn't believe it would go on so long. So many people thought when they were offering a spare room in their house that it would only be for a number of weeks or a month maximum. And people are saying, look, I'm willing to do that, but I wouldn't be able to commit uh, long term. So whether they'll be taken up on that, those offers, I don't know. But the Red Cross have said they're processing such a large amount of offers. They're admitting that it's been just a huge huge challenge to them because they've never done anything like this uh, before and I know also I was reading in one of the papers this morning that the government are also going to use student accommodation to house many of the Ukrainian refugees because the student accommodation will be free during uh, the summer months. There is a belief that a deal has been reached with the universities for four and a half thousand beds however that could go to even between five and six Thousand and newly arriving refugees will be housed in the student accommodation from as soon as next month because, as I say, capacity in hotels has been reached. And there, but again, they're only going to be for the summer because come September they're going to be needed for the uh, students. So it does look like all of the various government departments, in particular the housing department, they are looking at every available house or space or anywhere where they can house uh, the refugees. And what about the Catholic Church that John is asking about? I don't know, but I'm assuming if the Catholic Church have a number of large houses that are free, uh, they will be either if they haven't already offered them, I'm assuming they will be approached by the government. 0818 103 103. John Paul takes your calls, text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Now, Cancer Connect is looking for voluntary drivers across Cork County. Now, information meetings, there was one went on this morning in Bandon, but there is a second one at 8 o'clock tonight in the West Lodge Hotel in Bantry. Everyone's welcome to come along. Plenty of time for questions and answers. Shambali Moore Bingo is on tonight, 8 o'clock. Jackpot €1,750 and that'll be in 45 calls or less. Everybody welcome and your support would be appreciated. The Donnerail Meds Shed, they're meeting in the Community Centre tomorrow, Wednesday, half past seven, all are uh, welcome. 
and Bosford GAA Club are presenting Johnny Brady in the Charleville Park Hotel this Friday night. Tickets are available at the door with proceeds going towards the refurbishment of the hall of the, the Bosford GAA Hall and your support will be much appreciated. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. It was sad to see that the total number of people now who have died from COVID-19 since the virus was first recorded over two years ago in this country as of yesterday. It passed the 7,000 mark uh, yesterday. The total number of deaths confirmed was 7,016 lives have been lost due to uh, COVID, which is the real sad, sad side of uh, COVID. On more positive news, the latest figures from the HSE show the number of people in hospital with COVID. That continues to decline. I mean, as of yesterday, I think it was 477 people. We were under the 500 uh, mark and even the ICU figures were down. I think 33, they were down 10 from the previous day. So, you know, thankfully, people are not getting as sick with uh, COVID. Uh, but it's just sad to think we have lost over 7,000 people since coronavirus first came to this uh, country. But of course, there's another issue going on that I think is something we're going to be speaking about. And I don't know for how long we're going to be speaking about it. But that's the issue of long uh, COVID. And there are many people, I don't even know if there's an official figure on the number of people who are suffering from long COVID. And if you are one of those, if you've got, if you've got a family member, there is a little bit of hope for people suffering from long COVID. And this is a new Irish study that found fatigue, breathlessness and other symptoms improved after six weeks of virtual exercise sessions. The findings come, it was, it's, an, it's Ireland's first exercise-based recovery programme for COVID-19. It was in St. James's Hospital in Dublin. I know they've done reports, they're sending reports on uh, to the European Congress of uh, Clinical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases so in Lisbon. So it means that the work that's been done here then could be mirrored and copied in other countries. There was Kate O'Brien who is a physiotherapist at St. James's. She was saying recovery from COVID-19 is complex. Many patients are still experiencing persistent symptoms including breathlessness, debilitating fatigue, joint pain. Others are complaining of chest pain and, and much, much more. And there's no two people with long COVID seem to have the same symptoms. And many people are suffering weeks, m- months and in some cases, even now years following their acute infection from COVID-19. And the symptoms can be present regardless of how severe the initial infection was. So it's not to say that somebody got COVID-19 and they were very, very unwell. For some people, they might have just breezed through the initial infection, feeling, God, I'm fine. And then suddenly they were left with what can be quite at times debilitating uh, symptoms that's affecting their quality of life, it's affecting their ability to exercise. For some, they've had to give up work, you know, and just not able to resume their normal lives. So Kate O'Brien, the physiotherapist at St. James, said many patients expressed a wish to get back into exercising but literally didn't know where to start. Some were apprehensive or anxious about doing it on their own or fearing that it did try to exercise where they make their symptoms worse. So existing exercise classes for patients with other conditions, they realised that they didn't cater for the needs of people with COVID. So they came up with this, designed this specific recovery programme for team. The programme, the first in Ireland, involves two 
50 minute virtual exercise classes so it means people don't have to attend St James's Hospital in Dublin they can be anywhere in the country and they last for a maximum of six weeks patients carry out its circuits it's things like uh, squats lunges stretches and other aerobic and strength based exercises then the intensity of the sessions increases gradually over the six weeks as the patients build up their exercise uh, tolerance done on 60 patients the average age was 45 who are all had experienced persistent symptoms for at least six weeks of being diagnosed with COVID-19. They were referred on to this recovery programme and some of the symptoms were, as I mentioned, breathlessness, particularly breathlessness if they did any kind of exercise, any kind of exertion. Also for others, people who had exercised in the past suddenly noticing they'd reduced exercise tolerance and for others it was was muscle weakness. So they got them to complete this six-week course two 50-minute virtual exercises every week for six weeks and on completion of the programme they've discovered it led to a significant increase in the distance that the participants could walk and improvements were seen in 93.5% of patients which is a really, really high figure. The patients also experienced a clinical significant improvement in breathlessness They and obviously then the knock-on effect was improvement in their quality of life. Improvements were also seen in areas including the ability to carry out everyday activities. So that's a real, real sense of hope. We'll keep a close eye on that programme and obviously now now, uh, because it's getting discussed um, in Europe, this certainly this research is going to be a very important step around long uh, COVID and the effects. And it is un- sadly affecting thousands of people. So just a glimmer of hope for anybody out there battling and struggling at the moment from long COVID. 0818 His wife passed away yesterday from COVID. Suzanne, um, issue SDBC. I read that on the paper today. He was like really, really saddened. So that's the Dickie Rock, Dickie Rock's late wife. Uh, May she rest in peace. Thank you, Anne, uh, for reminding us of that. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Joe Heffernan uh, joining us on this Tuesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme now. Uh, I, I mentioned this earlier. The young people went back to school yesterday after their Easter break. And for the exam students, this really is the time, isn't it, when, you know, we're weeks away from exams. And this is when the pressure really can start to build for both the students and for their parents. Absolutely. And... um you know, it's like, uh, what is it, a stitch in time saves nine, that I mean, if a person gets a wee bit organised now, even though they might feel, you know, plenty time, um, there isn't really. And it's a good idea to have at least a nice outline plan. Um, you know, a little a little bit of um, organisation takes away an awful lot of stress. Like, um, I'll be doing a training now on the 5th and 6th of May for um, an organisation. And, you know, I've been tapping away at it with the last um, fortnight or three weeks. And, you know, uh, the old confidence grows um, with each little bit done rather than 
pandemonium on the 2nd, 3rd and 4th of May. Yeah. You, you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Okay, so we're, we're breaking this piece of advice into two sections. Firstly, from the parents' point of view and then from the uh, point of view. Now, for the parents, uh, your first piece of advice, and I think is really important, is to encourage and praise. The, the last thing, The last thing a student needs to hear is mum or dad nagging, saying, you're not doing enough. Get into the bedroom. You're not studying enough. Or Johnny down the road was doing four hours. You've done nothing. That's the worst thing a student can hear. Absolutely. Because um, there'll be enough self-doubt without the doubt being um, uh, added to. Um, and uh, I think most parents, in fairness now, would uh, would would understand that, um, well, maybe one of the main things to understand is that apart from a little friendly um uh, casual uh, sort of advice um, that uh, there isn't much to do anyway um, uh, and maybe even a realisation of that uh, rather than being accused of nagging uh, because um, that could be counterproductive. So yeah, encourage and a bit of praise. You've been doing great and um, as far as I know now the uh, the orals uh, are over Mm. and um, for the leaving cert. And, you know, um, it's nice to hear um, a young person saying, that went well. I did well in that. Um, I feel it went well. I mean, that's a big incentive to keep doing well. Yeah, and for students who come out saying, oh God, I don't think I did did that well. Say, look, you did the best that you can do. Put it behind you. You can't change it. Let's move on. Absolutely, yeah. Kind of like the postmortems are, are not helpful. No, we no. talked recently, didn't we, about ruminating? And um, you don't want to be ruminating about, oh my God, I, um, you know, uh, the best that one can do is prepare for the next um, uh, section of whatever is coming up. Yeah, and that's and, so uh, important during the exams themselves. Yeah. You know, not to. Yeah. But I suppose yeah. from the parents' point of view, it's important now to get the message across, you know, that, that these exams won't define you. And, you know, you're, you're not dependent on these results. Absolutely. Absolutely. That they'll always be the son or daughter and that that won't depend on whether they got an A1 or a D3, that they'll still be um, uh, loved and cherished as uh, the son or daughter. And uh, uh, so, like... Give it your best shot, and once you give it your best shot, well, that's good enough for us. And the person himself or herself will feel that way too, that if they've given it their best shot, well then, um, c'est la vie about, uh, you know, how the results go and, and all of that. It's been a very, very, very tough time for them because um, sure things were changing by the month, Um There'd be a new this or a new that, and now um, the unions are um, in uh, talks uh, with the uh, with the department, with the minister, about you know um, uh, assessment by teachers or not. Um, uh, many of the unions are saying that they don't want that, and um, uh, this is all you know. Uh, coming at you as it were with the six o'clock news, etc., and um, and it doesn't help. But then again, um, maybe some changes will be made for the better. Uh, in yeah. fact, they will be for the better. There's no question about that. And then offers of help. How you, how a parent can help their students. 
Absolutely. And, you know, that can be as simple as a cup of tea. It can yeah. be like, look, um, uh, you've been you've been at the old study there for an hour. Um, would you like a cup of tea? And that can be very, um, I don't know, reassuring. It means I've someone on my side, you know. And um, uh, the last thing a parent needs to do, like, is to get all uptight about the exam because um, that that kind of comes across and, um, uh, you know, uh, an air of even, even if a parent has to kind of um, have a chat with himself or herself about, um, uh, you know, <laughs> at least seeming to be nice and relaxed. That can help too. Whereas if everyone is going around um, dropping things and saying, oh my God, oh my God, you know, exams coming up, well, that's going to help no one. Yeah, that's only going yeah. to get everyone uptight. Yeah, and I suppose one thing that, and from a practical point of view, that parents can do if there's other siblings, particularly younger siblings in the house, to try to make sure that they realise that this is an important time in the exam student's life and for everyone to be a bit understanding Absolutely. about it. Absolutely. To ensure a bit of peace and quiet, that um, the last thing you want is a television turned up to nine or ten and um, our games going on that are noisy, our people charging into, whether it's a sitting room, bedroom, wherever um, a, a person is doing a bit of study, to give them a chance. And um, to explain that in a in a nice, um, friendly way to the younger kids that, um, you know, that John or Mary just needs a little bit of peace and quiet now. They're doing um, a bit of work and um, let's all cooperate with that. And I think most kids um, will will comply with that. Um, and uh, especially now, it's great that, um, well, it kind of works both ways. Always when the leaving set comes around, we seem to get the sunshine. But at least now, um, if there are younger kids around and it's time off and they're not in school, well, at least they can be outside playing. Mm. And, um, mm. you know. So and, and, and I think inevitably, always around the start of the exams or the week leading up to it, we will get a text or a call in from a listener who's, it's the first exam student in the house and tensions are, are rising. And is this, is this yeah. the way it is in everybody's house? And we, you know, we're inevitably always saying, yes, it, yes, it is. Some young people can get very snappy and, yeah. and, and they don't mean anything by it. Not a bit. And the thing is not to take it personally. It's just a release of stress and um you know, let it pass over um, rather than challenge it or rather than, you know, um, take the young person up on it. Um, unless, that I mean, that, it, that it's uh, over the top and needs a word. But, you know, being, being snappy, being irritable, um, uh, we've talked about it quite a bit, uh, Patricia, all through the COVID thing. Uh, one of our one of our much used words was tetchy, and um, when you add in all that we've been through uh, with the stress of an upcoming, um, uh, you know, a rather important exam, um, yeah, um, people can um, lose the cool a little, and uh, and that's very understandable. Yeah. 
So as you were suggesting, don't take it. Yeah, if you get the odd door being slammed, just uh, count to ten, and and, you know, and and usually what happens is they'll come back later and apologise, and they they didn't really mean it. Absolutely. So, but the 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 top of the list it's encourage and praise. Then the students themselves, as you say, they've they've gone back into the classroom now. The Easter break is behind them. That's their last break now before the exams. So now is the time bit of focus and a bit of what you what you were saying there about the work that you have coming up a bit of a study plan study timetable yeah yeah a bit of planning and um you know maybe just uh, write down on the left hand side of the page um the subjects that you are going to be uh, doing in the exam and um just have a look at them and um maybe make a, a quick couple of words note after it you know um, uh, whether one would be kind of going so many out of ten, uh, according to um, uh, priority. Um, you know, uh, some subjects um, you will be um, feeling quite confident about and quite good at that subject, fair enough, not to be complacent, but to kind of say, that's okay. And then maybe one that is... Um, you know, that bit tricky and that you aren't very confident about it and um, to kind of, uh, you know, to, to plan to maybe give it a little bit more uh, time in the in, in the outline. And we are talking outline, I suppose, at this stage. We're not exactly the week before the exam. Um, but uh, so to prioritise things and... Um, you know, and, and also to be realistic and to kind of factor in time off as well, uh, to leave it there for a while. And when you leave it there, to really leave it there, whether whether you're going to watch um, uh, a movie on, on the on, on the telly or whether you're going to take a bit of time out to meet a few friends, um, uh, that when, when you leave the study, well, do leave the study. There isn't much point in leaving the study, but it's paramount. In, in in one's head, so le- leave it for a while. Get out well, a bit of get out and get a bit of exercise if you can. The weather's well, nice no, this that's, week. That's one good idea. Yeah. Yes. Okay, that, and, and that then will help. and then you 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 have good tips around the actual study plans. Like you say, separate out each subject. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I I I got a bit of a shock myself during the leaving cert. I mean, I I had a floor of a room completely covered, but. You know, there was English and there was Irish and there was the dreaded maths and there was this and that. And, um, you know, at least at least the notes were separated so that if I wanted to have a look at um, uh, whatever subject, I knew exactly where to pick up what papers. Um, a, a little bit of organization, you know, and then. Uh, as time goes on, then um, we all hear about reduce and recycle, and I'd be inclined to have another two hours for exams, like um, reduce and remember. Um, uh, I, I would be trying to get a whole subject as much as I could um, down to what I call study cards. You know the cards that mm. are what are the flashcards. Um, yeah. What are they? I'd call them flashcards. The flashcards, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and um, you know, to have a few keywords um, on it um, uh, to remember certain things. Um, 
Uh, I can't remember what they were now, but I remember for geography, I had a word, uh, it was like, it made no sense, it was Cospel Gif. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, you know, it, every letter in it meant a certain oh, thing. Oh, I know, I know, yeah, yeah. Um, so I would remember my word, and then when I was inside the exam, C would be for Coombs or Corries, um, uh, S would be for Strie. Um, I'm just thinking about way back now. No, no, you're doing well. Ago. You're doing well. well it's, it's whatever works for people, isn't it? it whatever it, it, works yeah. for you. Um, yeah. But just to have some little bit of a kind of a handy plan. that, um, that Because there isn't much point in writing down on like um, May the 26th, um, read King Lear. Mm. You know, you'd want to have King Lear or well read. whatever else yeah. it is. Well, well read. Well read. And then, and it's still not too late if there's part of a subject that you're struggling with. We've got brilliant teachers. Ask yeah. the question. Go go to the teachers. And if your parents can afford it, there still is time for grinds. Yeah, yeah. If there's a certain subject. Now, I mean, I got the equivalent of a D3 in maths and that was with grinds. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, myself and Matt now didn't get on at all. Um, uh, but I got my old D3, which meant I passed it. I think the terror at the time was, as far as I remember now, this is back in antiquity, I think if you failed Matt, you failed the whole blooming yeah, thing. Yeah, there was a very weird scenario and you had to pass five subjects in order to say, I passed my leaving cert. And if it was, if either Matt's or Irish, if you failed, it meant... You didn't pass the whole thing. Exactly. Crazy. And that's you could be gone. after passing seven. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Not to mind the five. Yeah, that's all gone. It, thank God. Uh, yeah. It's all they gone. were vital. You yeah. had to get them. So, I mean, talk about pressure. Um, anyway, I got my all equivalent of D3. I think I got 41% on oh, the test paper in the maths. You passed and, um, and that's, that's and all. And that was grand. And I said, sound out. I'll never have to look at algebra or any of those again. <laughs> no, I hope... I hope I'm not putting out a bad word about Matt I'm only talking about me I was fairly clueless Yeah but listen and there was a lot that we did in Matt's class that you you, you look back on and you think why did I ever remember the theorems and you learnt them off for a bottom <laughs> yeah. have we ever used them in real life? No Yeah yeah. yeah. Alright and then obviously yeah. remembering to eat and that's where that we can tie that back in with the, with, the, with the mums and the dads to make sure you know good healthy diet and and avoid avoid all the, the the fizzy drinks and the caffeinated drinks because they really are no good. No, and I mean, how, however uptight a person is, they're going to add to that. So kind of, you know, a nice cup of chamomile tea would be a lot more in order and would help. Okay, all right. Mm. And, and as you say, as we said at the start, these exams don't define you. I know it, Not feels, at all. it feels like the be all and end all, but we all went through it when you come out the other side. You <laughs> yeah. realize, what it were seemed we, like what, the what most we worried about. Thing, yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay, listen, have a lovely week. Enjoy the bank holiday weekend and ahead and the nice weather as well. And thanks yeah. for joining us, Joe. Thank good you, af- Patricia. Good afternoon to you. That is Joe Heffern and Joe runs a counselling practice in Bohopwe. He can be contacted at 086-834-8145. And when we were talking about students and parents, somebody said, how can students and parents, how are they supposed to be guided uh, on when they haven't received their pre-results yet? Which in my school, the pre's were done before February of the midterm in February. And uh, the results aren't in. God, that seems like a very excessively long period of time not to have the pre-results 
adults back in and we haven't had any parent-teacher meetings yet. I'd be getting on to the school and asking, when are you getting your parent-teacher meeting? Gary in uh, Glanmire was commenting on the piece that we did earlier with Senator Tim Lombard who's calling on the GAA to make the upcoming Cork Kerry football semi-final match available on free to view. Put it on RTE or put it on Virgin Media because we know it's on Sky. Gary says the GAA have sold those rights to Sky already. So Sky and Sky TV have the rights to to, to the game. They've paid for it. Uh, They're not going to change their mind. It's too late anyway to change at this stage. But Gary says now that we're discussing this issue and Senator Tim Lambert discussing this issue, new law should be introduced that all of our national great games are not sold to any pay-per-view broadcasters. Uh, The legislators need to do that. It's too late for this particular game. All right, thank you for that, Gary. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. Mark Malone is in for Martina. And I'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.